Today, we're picking up where we left off last week. We're in Song of Songs, chapter 4. Okay, everybody? So, Kiss Me, part 2, the ascent, or the descent and the ascent. You guys ready for this? Woo! Last last Sunday was a little bit juicy. This Sunday is going to be just as juicy, so I hope you guys are ready for this. Let me start off by saying that um, marriage... We're talking about godly lovemaking, sex. We're talking about great godly sex today. We did last week. We're finishing up around. We didn't have enough time last week. Uh, we had we, we found six things in the Bible, of uh, uh, Song of Songs chapter four, about um about this couple. Right? We're reading through this book is about this couple, this godly couple who found their marriage to be amazing. To be something like godlike is what they, they describe it as. And so what they decided to do is they wrote this book because they looked back at their life and they identified some things that they said, wow, we've been married all this time and this marriage is amazing, it's godlike. What were some of those things that make our marriage so godlike? And so, so they wrote this book and in this book we can identify the things. They've identified some things and we were just talking about those things in the scriptures today. I mentioned last week that um, I did a, quite a bit of studying on this book, commentaries, and read it some scholars, and one of the guys, my go-to guy, F.F. Bruce, talked about, this is not a chapter you want to talk about on a Sunday morning. But I disagree. I disagree because I believe that the Bible also teaches that all scripture is profitable unto righteousness for discipline, for teaching, for rebuking, for raising up, so that the man, the woman of God, the servant of God can be fully equipped to do his work. And so that's why we're looking at Song of Songs chapter 4. So I talked about six things. Let's review, see if we can get up to speed, and then we'll, we talked about the first three. The first one was that godly, great godly lovemaking starts where? Inside or, nobody remembers that? Outside. Last week, our number one, was that great godly lovemaking starts outside. Well, Abdi, Pastor Abdi, that sounds a little kinky. What do you mean by outside? Well, let's talk about that. What does that mean? It means outside of the actual physical moment. Way before the, the moment of, of sexual intercourse, lovemaking starts. Way long before the bedroom is what we talked about. That was number one. We learned that in chapter four, the first few verses. Number two. We said that great godly lovemaking is what? It's gentle. It's slow. It's caring. It's tender, right? I don't know if you guys remember, we, we talked about the two fawns. Anybody remember the two fawns we talked about last week? Right? We, we don't want to scare away the two fawns. So we talked about that. And then last, the, the number three last week was that great godly lovemaking is intense. Intense. And we talked about that as well. So today we're picking up four, five, and six. All right? So we're going to pick up verse seven in, in today's scripture. And what I want you guys to notice is that in this whole chapter, in this whole book, the groom, right, he hasn't, he, okay, so we're past the wedding day. And we're in to the honeymoon night. And just like last week, we get to be a fly on the wall and get to see what happens on their honeymoon night. And we're here in verse 7. And in verse 7, he hasn't even touched his wife yet. 
He, he started all the way at the top, had hair, remember? You got great goat hair. Do you remember that? Anybody remember that? I'm just reviewing. Some of us remember, some of us don't. You got great goat hair. He starts talking about this, and we unpack that and what that means. And he starts working his way down the descent, and then he goes all the way back up. And so we're, we're starting right, right there in verse 7. Let me see if I can find it in my notes, and we'll read it together. Verse 7. You guys ready? Say yes or no. All right, let me say this. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready. Where are you going to go? I would say that that sex in the covenant of marriage is one of the most amazing blessings that God has created. I heard one amen. <laughs> Somebody was supposed to say, yeah, buddy. Somebody was supposed to say, uh-huh. Somebody was supposed to say, all right. And somebody was supposed to say, Amen. So let's try it again. Great godly lovemaking. You guys ready for your cue? What God created is one of the greatest blessings known to man. Alright, that was a little better. That was still a little weak. That was a little better. On the other hand, sex can be a great point of conflict for a marriage that is not headed in the right direction. So we're going to talk about that. So where are we? Number number four. Great godly lovemaking is built upon open communication. Open communication. Verse 7. Look what he says here in verse 7. And I love the way he says it. He says this. He says, All beautiful you are, my darling. And I love that. All beautiful you are. What's he saying? He's looking at her at this moment completely nude. She's no clothes on and he's looking at her and he says, Oh, beautiful you are, my darling. And he says, uh, There is no flaw in you. What is he doing in this passage? He's looking at her and says, There's no flaw in you. If, if, what, what he's doing is he's going back do you remember the bride we talked about at the beginning of the series, chapter 1 of Song of Song? It's the Shulamite woman. And this Shulamite woman in chapter 1, she was very insecure about her what? Anybody remember? About her skin. She was on the, her tone was on the darker side because she says in chapter 1, I was made to work with my brothers in the field and so I got this extra this, I got extra sun. I didn't want it, and I got it. And so she was really, and she was apologetic to her 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 lover about her skin color. I, I'm sorry about the way I look. I'm sorry that I'm so dark. And this is the moment for the groom to step in, and he looks at her and he says, "I'm sorry, baby. Everything I see is all good right now. There, I wouldn't change." A thing. You look great. I don't know what you're talking about. You look off. So what is he doing? He's being secure. See, she was very insecure about her body. And so what he's doing is he's trying to affirm her and build her up and help her feel secure about herself. No, I, I, there is not, I, I don't see anything wrong with you. And so guys in the house today, what happens a lot of times is that the women in our lives, they are comparing themselves. They see they're, they're already dealing with a little bit of insecurity. And then there's all these 
magazines and movies and shows and commercials and models that get stuff puffed up and shrunk down and glossed over and airbrushed and those aren't real people but those are the people that our culture says we have to measure up to but they're not real and so and so we feel so women feel insecure they feel like they, they can't measure up to this and so it is very it's incumbent it's very important upon us as men as husbands to help our wives feel secure, help them feel affirmed in the way they look. You look great, I got, my wife, I'll give you an example, she gave me two kids, two boys. And you know what I tell her? I tell her, babe, I have to tell you, your body to me is flawless. What you did for me is you gave me two boys, you sacrificed your body, this self-sacrificing way you've given up of yourself that most, Women, most women, almost, there's no woman that would do what you did for me. Lay down your life, self-sacrifice your life for me. To, and so I have to tell you, I can't thank you enough. You are perfect. This body of yours reminds me, reminds us of the self-sacrificing love that you had for me, for God, for the kids. And you know what that reminds me of? God's love. And so every time I look at you, I think of God's love for me and for our family. And so thank you. I don't know how I can thank you enough, but you're perfect for me. And so, yeah, right? And so ladies, yeah, no matter how secure you think your man is, I will tell you that we too as men, we have some insecurities. No matter how puffed up you think or confident we may portray ourselves, we still have, and we deal with insecurities as well. And it's, it's important for you women to as well uh, affirm us as well. We might be insecure about the bedroom, how we perform, are we pleasing you? We might be secure about some other stuff that I will not mention in this room today. But it's very important that we get affirmed, that, that we feel that your voice matters. Our voice matters. Men, that you know, our voice Matters. We, for a woman, it, it's it's it, our voice is like different than any other. You're my husband. I love you, and so what you say really matters to me. And so we're talking about great godly love making. It's 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 built upon open communication. We got to talk about this. And so let me talk to the ladies again for just a moment. And I hope you won't tune me out, but I think this is very very important. Um, most women know that most men. What more what? You can say, yes, we want more frequency, right? We want more more frequency. You can say amen, that's okay. Yeah, uh, you know, all you think about, right? All you think all the time is sex. Well, yes, but it's not that there's something wrong with us. This is the way that God has created us. Generally speaking, now this is general, not always, but in general, men want more frequency. And most women may know that, but what, what most women do not know is the emotional side of sex for a man. When you receive a man, it translates into something more than just physical for a man. It's acceptance. You accept me. It does something internally, and it's something very special. When you reject a man physically, it's not just physically that you're rejecting him. It's emotional. And when you reject him over and over and over again, he starts to feel like less 
of a man. You know what you're doing? You're taking away his man card. You're taking away his man card. What? You don't like me. You don't want me. And so here's what you need to understand, ladies, because he's not sick. I want you to know that. He's not sick. God wired him this way. And so when a man is rejected over and over and over again, it is the same to him. It's the same as emotionally as if he never, ever spoke to you. Lack of physical intimacy to a man is equally as devastating as a sudden silence would be to you for him to talk to you. All right. So what, what we need to understand is that most women know that most men desire more sex from their wives. But most women don't realize that it is a crisis in the it, it, it's a crisis that they're not getting that from you. You see, when you want to talk about open communication, when a man marries you and you marry him, at this point, your spouse becomes your only legitimate source of sexual fulfillment. So for him to receive sexual fulfillment in a way that does not involve you is illegitimate and it's sin. And so here's this desire, here's this emotional need that he has, and he speaks to you in open communication that you are the only one who can legitimately meet that need. And so what do you do? Why is it so quiet? What do you do? It's super important, all right? It's super important. Godly lovemaking is built on open communication. We must be open. We must be vulnerable. We must talk about this and, and we must make this a priority. Great godly lovemaking is built on open communication. Can somebody say yes? yes. It's number four, because we're in part two, or number one if you're new here tonight, today. The fifth thing, if you're taking notes, is that we need to understand is that the great godly lovemaking is gratifying. Look at this in verse 9, 10, and 11. He says to her, you have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride, who's stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes. What is he saying? Look at what he says. In other words, he's saying, like Tom Cruise told Renee Zellweger, you complete me. You complete me. Right? Look at what he says. is with one jewel of your necklace. Verse 10. How delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much more pleasing is your love than wine and the fragrance of your perfume than any spice. Look at verse 11. Your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb, my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. This is kind of sexy, isn't it? It's intense. It's here. Guys, you may say, yeah, 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 that sounds so romantic, but I'm no Romeo. But I got news for you. You married a Juliet. Whether you like it or not, you married a woman who wants to be romanced. Okay? She wants not just the physical side of lovemaking, she wants the emotional side of lovemaking. And all the ladies of the house said, alright, it needs to be very gratifying in the approach. One of the things that Marie and I do to meet our physical, our emotional, our relational needs is that we make it a point once a week to gather and have this away from the kids, her and I, we either have a meal together, at least once a week, we, we gather together. And it's, you're focused on me, and I'm focused on you, and we do it at least once a week. 
We, we try to have a meal together so we're meeting our, having this connectedness. And then we try once a month to have a, a date night. We've got two little boys, so it's hard to find a babysitter. They don't answer the phone anymore. So now it's like once a month, right? Uh, so yeah, so like once a month, we're like, we're like we, we have a date night. What do you want to do? Let's go dancing. Let's go, let's go watch a, a performance. Let's go do something to get you and me, watch a movie, have dinner. Do, I'm giving you guys ideas, guys, in case you write this down. It's okay to copy. At the Rob Vineyard, we say copyright means copy it right, all right? So it's okay, write it down. I'm giving you ideas. So yeah, so, so this is what we do. We do this once a month, and then once a year, we try to get away. We try to get, just her and I, we'll get away to like a little bed and breakfast some, somewhere. We try to get away at least once a year. And recently, Marie, she, she works full time. And uh, she, she uh, just recently, she was telling me the night before she went into work, kind of similar to what Lucy was talking to Tony. Uh, you know, she was saying, I, I, she didn't call me Pastor Aldi. She said, honey, um, I have to tell you, tomorrow's the greatest, it's like, it's the biggest meeting of my career. I was like, oh, wow, okay. So I prayed with her at that moment. In the morning, we prayed again, and she went off to work, and I didn't hear much from her, but I knew she was having one of the most stressful, pressure-filled days, and so I left work. My lunch hour, I took it at the end of the day, and I, I left work a little early, and I went, and I, 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 I got home, and I filled up the tub with some hot water and bubbles. I got that Himalayan pink salt stuff, you know what I'm talking about, makes a lot of bubbles. And I went and I got these little balls that are soap, that are like sizzling when you put it in the bathtub. You know what I'm talking about? The aromatherapy candles, I bought some of those. I went to the dollar store, I got the wine glasses. All right, for Marie loves this grape, you know, bubbly grape juice thing. So I got that, right? And and, and she came home and I was like, babe, just go upstairs. I got the, the, the tub running for you. She took a little longer traffic to the larger. So I was up and down the stairs, boiling water, throwing it in the tub. But anyway, when she finally got home, I was like, babe, go upstairs. Listen, just take your time. I got the boys. I'll do dinner. Whenever you're ready to re-engage, you just come back down. I know you had a tough day. And she was like, all this for me? And I was like, honey, you got goat hair, yo, you got goat hair. <laughs> if you were here last week, you know what I'm talking about. If not, you can hear it online, okay? And so, and so yeah, so we try to do this. But I, I want to tell you, not just got, you guys, write that down. Dollar Store has wine glasses, all right? No, write this down. This is, I'm trying to help you. But it's not just the guys. Ladies, y'all need to initiate as well. Can someone say yes? Y'all can't like hide behind that either. Like initiate, let them know. Oh, but what if I send them the wrong message? I don't really listen. That's what we talked about. Open communication. Talk. This is not what you think, or this is what you think. Let them know. Initiate. Talk about that. All right. Somebody say yes. yes. I didn't hear enough yeses. Yes. Great godly love making. It starts number one outside of the actual moment, way before. Number two, it's gentle. It's slow. It's tender. Number three, it's intense. Number four, today, it's built upon open communication. Number five, it's gratifying. And number six, and don't forget, great godly lovemaking is holy. In the covenant of marriage, it is righteous. It is pure. It is holy. Talking about things that make us, it makes you holy. Did you realize that? It's a holy moment. It's a holy moment. And talking about holy things, another thing that makes us holy is communion. We're going to take holy communion right now. And so if you're sitting at a table, there at your table is a plate with pieces of bread and a cup with grape juice in it. 
And so we're going to do that right now. We, we practice it normally every week. We have it on the side of the stage. And you're welcome to come and do it individually. But today, I'm inviting all of you, whether you're a part of our church, it's your first time, or you're like, I'm not really sure about this whole church, you're invited to take it as well. You don't have to, but we just want to invite. We're doing it as a collective. We're doing it as a community. We're doing communion all together. And I'm going to explain a little more about what this is, okay? Jesus, when he came to this earth over 2,000 years ago, he decided to come to earth and die on the cross for our sins, even though he was innocent. And it didn't make any sense. And he did it because he didn't come to be served, but he came to serve and to save humanity. And so the way we remember what he did, that action he did for us, is by taking communion, coming to the table together. And so you'll notice on the table that you're sitting at, that plate and that bread, and you guys feel free. This might be the first time you're looking at other people at your table and you haven't even said hello yet, and that's okay. This is your moment. You can talk and pass the plate around right now. Go ahead. Say hi. How are you? If those of you in the back, there's a table over here if you want to come and grab some, or a table over here. You're welcome to come. A table over here, a table over here. You guys can stand up and grab pieces of bread and say hi. Would you like a piece of bread? My name is whatever your name is. and Feel free. This is the moment. Okay. Feel free to walk around and Grab a piece of bread. Um, you can even maybe gather at the table for the moment until we're done taking communion. And so this is something, you guys, that as followers of Jesus, followers of Jesus have been doing this for thousands and thousands of years. It's called communion, or depending on your church tradition, it's also called the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper, uh, basically coming to the table. So I want to explain what we're doing right now. We are inviting each of you to connect with the people at your table, Maybe you haven't even said, had eye contact, but this is the moment, okay? And so um, communion, it's an invitation to connect with Jesus. It's an invitation to join in community with others that are here. So if you're new here, this is the way we do it. It might be different for you. You may not be new, and it still might be new for you, and that's okay, okay? Everyone is invited to participate. Communion, communion uses bread as a symbol for Jesus' body and wine, or juice as a symbol for his blood. And yes, it sounds strange. Jesus started this tradition of communion. He instructed his followers to use bread and wine to remember the sacrifice he was going to make when he died for our sins on the cross. And so the early church used to practice communion on a daily basis, actually. Anytime they would gather, they would do it. And so the Bible or the scriptures actually warn us about taking communion uh, without considering what it means. And so that's what we're doing in this moment where we're telling you that the intent is not for us to mindly, mindlessly perform a ritual, but to intentionally set aside a moment to remember what Jesus has done and why he did it. Communion celebrates the gospel. Jesus coming to this earth, broken for us so that we can be fixed by him. Celebrating communion marks the story of Jesus, how he gave himself completely to teach us that we can have a new start and a fresh relationship with God. It's not about a ritual to revere, but a person to worship. Can somebody say yes? yes. So with that in mind, let's take the bread and dip it in the juice. And we're going to have a moment of silence as we worship Jesus just in this quietness right now. I'm going to come and have communion with you.
We remember you, God. We, we are so thankful for this new covenant, this new opportunity to have a relationship with you. It's amazing, God. And we wouldn't trade it, Lord. We have a second chance at life. We get forgiven and a relationship with you. It's the best deal on earth. The best deal we could ever have is to be able to be forgiven. No guilt, no shame. We get to have a relationship with the living God. We get to be forgiven. It's awesome. Promise of eternal life. Yay. We love you, God. And we remember your sacrifice for us. This holy moment, God, we pray that you would come to our lives. And I think about the moments in the scriptures where it talks about the people who took communion were even healed in their hearts, in their souls, in their bodies, because they remembered the sacrifice of Jesus. A holy moment. We recognize that, Lord. We love you, God. Bless you today. In Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look at verse 12, 13, and 14. And man, this is this is rich stuff right here. Are you guys enjoying this? All right, good. So he says to his wife on their honeymoon night, you are a, say it aloud, you are a, go, okay, is that, is it up, it's up there. Let's try it again. Let's say it again on the count of three. You are a garden, all right, garden, locked up. My sister, my bride, you are a spring. Read it with me. You are a spring enclosed. And what kind of fountain, you guys? A sealed fountain. What is he saying? What is he saying? He's saying, you saved yourself for me. You're a virgin. You're a sealed fountain. On our honeymoon night, you're a virgin. That's exactly what he's saying. You're a virgin. You're giving yourself to me this great gift of purity. You're giving that to me. Verse 13, watch this. He says, your plants are an orchard of pomegranates, a choice fruit and all the finest spices. Do you remember a few weeks ago we talked about the groom in this story. He's talking about the little foxes that spoil the vine. I don't know if you remember we talked about that during maybe week two, week one, week, week two. We talked about that during week two. The little foxes. And what was he talking about? In that scripture, he was talking, the group was suggesting earlier that, that the little foxes are the sexual temptations during our courting process, these sexual temptations that we're, we're feeling. Let's stay, let's, let's not let the little foxes spoil the vine. What's the vine? The vine is the vineyard. And the vineyard in this book actually represents our bodies. And so up until that moment, he's saying, let's not fall into sexual temptation. But now, it's after the wedding day. It's the wedding night. And so now he's saying the garden is blossoming. The vineyards are blossoming. Now it is right. Now this is holy. Now this is pure. And so for those of you that are not married, if God blesses you with a spouse one day, you've got a choice. And you determine what your honeymoon will be like. Either you will honor God with sexual purity on your honeymoon night, or you will celebrate one of the most righteous holy moments of your life as you do as you do and for the first time you consummate your marriage and the two physically the bible says and spiritually become one flesh you either do that or you can do what most people do which is what most people they hop in and out of bed with multiple people they have sex with your future spouse even before you're married they get married they go on their honeymoon and then you know what it will be like on their honeymoon night Business as 
usual, another normal day, because this is what we do. Before you were a Christ follower, you didn't have those godly standards. But now that you became a Christ follower, you can commit to sexual purity. I talked about that last week. You can become what I call the born-again virgin. A born-again virgin. And many people I know, that's exactly what they did and what they done when they got married. And you can commit to purity from that point on. When I met Marie, we talked about this. We talked about the purity of virginity for her and for me. We talked about waiting until we were married. And I'll tell you up front, it was a difficult task because we were very attracted to each other. And, and, and so, but with the grace of God and a lot of self-control we did, we waited. And we got married and our pastors shared in our covenant vows and it was holy. And we went to the reception and that was nice, but we didn't stay at the reception long because we had things to do, if you know what I mean. <laughs> We got out there as fast as we could. And uh, I remember I carried her up the stairs and before we undressed or we even touched one another, we knelt down beside by the bed and we prayed together. And we opened up scripture. And together we read God's word. And I knelt down by my bride and I took a basin of water and I, I, I served just like Jesus served his disciples by washing her feet. I washed her feet. And I said, I promise I will serve you for the rest of my life. And after prayer, after an act of service of washing her feet, we read the word together, I unwrapped my presence. <laughs> and we sealed the covenant in one of the most awesome, holy, special, and right moments of my life. And then we waited about a half an hour and we sealed it one more time just to make sure it was all good. And the weather outside was really bad and yucky. It was really cold, but that was perfect for a honeymoon couple like us. We had no intention of leaving the room. We ordered room service. When we were hungry, we ate. And when we weren't, we were like, let's go. And so this woman in this story has been loved the right way by this man. Look at verse 15 and 16. I think these are the most erotic verses in all scripture. And I will not explain them to you. You must figure them out on your own. Verse 12. Remember what that he said? He, she was a garden locked up. And now he says in verse 15, You are a garden fountain, a well of flowing water streaming down from Lebanon. Verse 16. She says to him, Awake, north wind, and come, south wind. Blow on my garden, that its fragrance may spread abroad. Let my lover come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. Ooh. Maybe F.F. Bruce was right. We weren't supposed to talk about this after all. No, it's all good. Would you bow your heads? It's just a simple way to connect with God. I want to pray for us today. And let me just pause here and say, some of you today, you're like, well, I really messed up. Well, I can't relate to that story at all. Some of you were abused growing up. Some of you are angry at me right now for sharing this story. Maybe saying, that's so idealistic. That doesn't really happen. Some of you right now, you're thinking about your spouse and you're thinking, man, I wouldn't want him to touch me. Are you kidding me at all? I don't like this stuff. Some of you have lost hope that you could ever have a godly relationship. Some of you are locked in a sexual sin at this moment. You're hooked on pornography. You're addicted to masturbation. 
You stepped into a world of homosexual actions. There's everything but God in your sexual life. And you're confused and you're afraid and you're hurt and you feel bitter and you feel dirty and you feel vulnerable. Let me just make you a promise. No matter what you've done, I promise you, no matter what you've done, no matter how great the sin is, there is no sin that is too great for Christ to forgive. There is no bondage, there's no addiction too great that Christ cannot set you free. The Bible says whoever Jesus sets free is free indeed. No matter what you're going through right now, no matter how great the hurt, there is no hurt too great that Christ cannot heal.